episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that tries to understand why America got so broken by looking into classic television, specifically The Andy Griffith Show. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. I'm the other one, Dan Ludwig. Alright, so uh, we're back in the studio after taking a little bit of time off. Uh, We recorded a bonus episode. We did our live show at South Street Cinema with the Everything is Awesome slash Headstrong Comedy Festival. Uh, It was a good show. for being on a Sunday afternoon, I really thought it was we had a decent turnout. You wouldn't know yeah. by listening to the audio, but uh, more people than I would expect to go to a live podcast taping on a Sunday. I was pretty pleased with that, and the festival itself was a uh, success. It beat its fundraising goal by like more than twenty five percent. Yeah, and all of that was good. So, but now we're back in the studio. Before we get into today's episode. I want to do, we don't normally, like, beg for likes and reviews and whatnot, etc. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I did notice we had, like, like spike in listens and downloads. It was, like, 60 or 70 in one day, which is unusual for a day that we didn't release new content. Uh, and I went and I tried to figure out what caused this. And that was also a day that we had gone from 9 reviews, uh, 5-star reviews on iTunes, to 10 5-star reviews on iTunes. So it really works. <laughs> I like that we keep trying to predict like things we do and whether or not people will like it. We have no fucking idea what we're doing. Like it's it's like we're just like like praying to a volcano god. Like we just do things and hope it makes the podcast listeners happy. And sometimes it does and sometimes we doesn't. Uh, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. We're uh, we're so powerless here. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and actually do the bag up front. Uh, if you like the show, if you've been enjoying us, you know, we appreciate everybody who has shared us uh, with their friends. But go ahead and click that subscribe button. Click the, the ratings and give us a review. That stuff actually does make a difference in, in iTunes's like, algorithms and putting us in different search results and getting us in people's ears. So if you want to support us and you're not a Patreon subscriber and you don't want to be a Patreon subscriber... The easiest way you can do that is by reviews, shares, and uh, ratings. So go ahead and do that right now. We'll wait. All right, we're are, good. Ready? Are we yeah. actually wait? I feel like that was too short for them to do that. But yeah, okay, let's let's go. Uh, There's a pause button. That's how podcasts work. Yep, yep, yep. Sure, sure. All right, so today's episode uh, sucks. So, dude, honestly... This show has sucked so bad for so long, and it is really starting to like wear me down. Like it's oh, honestly what it what it is is that uh they made the shift. We talked about this before. Season one, Andy was a psychopath, and season two, Andy isn't is still an asshole, but they he's not allowed to really do anything anymore. Like the joke can never be on Andy Griffith ever again in this show. So 
there's just nothing like he always has to like roll in and solve the problem so it's all just on don knots to supply all the fucking comedy and problems which has made andy griffith into the most boring character on the show and don knots into like an insufferable whirlwind of of annoyance and like they cuz they're eventually going to add like 50 fucking characters all of them being kind of annoying in their own unique way but right now it's just barney does something super obnoxious andy pranks barney maybe and then andy resolves the annoying thing barney did rinse and repeat for the 16th fucking episode yeah i think i think you're i think you're right i think you kind of nailed it right on the head that's kind of the problem with these episodes in season 2 yeah, season one, Andy was part of the joke, and season one, Andy was even like wrong on occasion and uh, could you know be one of the more absurd characters. Season one, Andy would fuck up, and we would kind of watch like, is the show going to take his side or disagree with him? Like, I don't know whether or not Andy is going to be vindicated in this very bad thing he did, and now it's just like he he doesn't even do anything ever. He just hangs out and then just like at the end says a thing about the thing that happened in the show. He's just basically like leaning on something the entire episode. Yeah. But now that's the thing is we're doing a, we're in a transition. Andy is transitioning into being like full time straight man, always going to be the relatable character, but they haven't cranked up the absurdity of everyone else around him yet. So yeah. we're in this like weird little like shifting of the scales that isn't super interesting to watch or for us to comment on, uh, which is great. Right after I kept, after I told everybody to give us ratings and reviews, ah, the next couple episodes are going to suck. Uh, We're going to squeeze is, some blood from this fucking stone. There, there's a breaking point. There is a breaking point, and it's coming up soon. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, when Barbara Eden shows up for one episode, uh, it's the horniest thing that we've seen on this show besides Aunt May's entire existence. And from that, it's so like, horny it kills the mayor. It, it it there's just the floodgates open and then we get a good chunk of craziness all again uh for the back half of season two but right now we just have to like push our way through this with season two episode 10 the club men which aired december 11th 1961 written by fred s fox and is ellenson who i don't think we've seen is ellenson yeah. is Are ellenson yeah i don't think we it's, it's not jack Ellenson. That oh. must be a Wikipedia typo. Nope, nope, nope. I think I think it's a I think it's a brother or something. Because uh, Jack Ellenson and Is Ellenson are spelled the same way. So this seems like an episode where like Jack's guy was like, "All right, I'm gonna get my kid brother in the writing room." I <laughs> it shows. Uh, he he really comes in with the heat of golf jokes. Directed by. Golden Corral lifetime pass holder, Bob Sweeney. They have a table reserved for him at the strip club, Bob Sweeney. Uh, And here is your uh, one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy and Barney are invited to a posh gentleman's club in Raleigh. However, at the club's get-acquainted party, Barney makes a fool of himself by his misinformed attempts at conversation. Alright, so this is actually, like, a pretty classic trope, and we picked another episode that does this trope of a different television show that we'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> this uh, episode sucks so much ass we watched Frasier. <laughs> yeah, we gave up. <laughs> why are you being coy? This episode sucks so much shit that you basically like, hey, you want to walk? You want to talk about Frasier too? 
<laughs> we've been true. looking for, we've been looking for an excuse to also talk about King of the Hill on this show because we're both deeply deeply in a King of the Hill show and we finally found an excuse. <laughs> I I feel like you were you watched this episode looked down at Wikipedia were like this definitely seems like a thing Fraser would have done. You probably looked down that as you were instead of watching the episode. Shut up, you don't know my life. I kind of do. You do. You do exactly. That's exactly what happened. I literally went to TV tropes. Yeah. And looked for examples of this trope. Uh, So this is a pretty common trope, right? I'm basically your life partner at this point. Like, come on. We we have a podcast together. That's like a child. There's an exclusive club uh, and two of our characters want to get in. Uh, And that's a pretty, like, common premise. This might be the genesis of that trope. And it's always interesting for me when I get to see something in the Andy Griffith show that shows up regularly, becomes a staple of TV comedy. So we picked a a similar episode of Frasier in which Frasier and Niles are competing with each other for uh, a a membership slot in an exclusive club. Uh, And it's going to be interesting to compare the two. It's like uh, the Andy Griffith show said, hey, what if there was an episode where two people want to get into a club? And Frasier figured out how to make that premise funny by adding tension. It's really, it's so weird. I mapped it out how much more stuff happens in the Frasier episode yeah. than in the Andy Griffith one. So let's let's explain a little bit of the Andy Griffith one before we compare the two. The first thing we see is we're outside the jailhouse and Andy and some guy pull up in a car and they were talking about fishing. As they are all constantly talking about. it is. There's nothing else to talk about. Yeah. It's incredible how much you have to talk about fishing when you can't drink and and everyone has to be, like, super respectable. It's just, like, the equivalent of, like, playing video games. They pull up and they're just talking and this guy uh, whose name is... Roger Courtney. That's it. Yeah, so the most the most generic waspy name imaginable. Yeah, so that we should put those. These are all just like well-to-do, uh, hot hoity-toity Raleigh people. Roger Courtney invites Andy to come up to the state capitol, which is Raleigh, uh, and to meet the membership uh, committee of the Esquire Club, which is a like fancy club that he's like exclusive. I guess like a like an Elks Club or like a he- like a Water Buffalo Lodge or some shit. Oh, it's way more exclusive. It's way more than. The water, it's, it, like, the water buffalo clubs are, like, a bunch of drunk dudes in a rec center. They never actually explain what's good about being in this club. Uh, which is something, again, that the Frasier episode does do. Uh, but this is just, like, an elite men's club where they go and they have dinner and they shoot shit about important men's stuff. And they talk about golf and whatever. I don't know. The really weird thing that is a club. I mean, it's a thing that still happens as illustrated by Frasier. And neither of the episodes really touch on how fucking weird it is for a bunch oh, of dudes to weird. say that they're in a club together and then just hang out. It's a fraternity for grown men. It's what it yeah. is. Yeah, It's just a networking thing or whatever. In fact, it's mostly for business contacts, which Barney actually understands. Andy, before he gets out of the car, he accepts Roger's offer to come up and possibly be admitted to the Esquire Club. He does say... That he'd be bringing Barney along, because every time he goes to Raleigh, he normally brings his deputy. 
Uh, and Roger says, okay, bring him along. We'll consider him, too. <laughs> Any friend your... of yours is a friend of mine. Yeah, if he's your deputy, he must be Esquire material. Very big. Roger Courtney is going out on a goddamn limb there. Yeah, like... Roger Courtney doesn't know Andy's hiring processes. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't. Like, you know, they, uh, the dude who's super chill about everything all the time like the most lax motherfucker imaginable i bet he brought he he's like only enforcing the strictest hiring and training practices on his deputy like definitely uh but yeah no he's just like yeah no bring him bring this dude i haven't met to this club full of my friends a thing i would not do with just like my friends so andy goes into the jailhouse uh they do this thing where he finds Barney asleep in a cell. And by the way, this is one of the many, many attempts to vamp for time in this episode. It is a super basic premise. Like, it's just a very basic, like, YouTube-style prank that Andy does that is just elongated as much as possible. Yeah, so he goes and he sees uh, Barney taking a nap in, like, the back room. Uh, And he goes back to the door he comes in and he slams the door uh and barney is he just wakes up and is pretending that he wasn't sleeping uh we should note at one point he as part of this prank he stole barney's shoes and put his shoes in the desk barney comes out uh pretends he wasn't sleeping and he says hey did you fix that stop sign and barney says oh no i've been so busy with all the people who have been calling and all the things that have been happening i didn't get a chance to fix i'm gonna go do it right now Quick note on that stop sign. In episode two of this season, yeah, Barney was asked to fix a stop sign. It's probably the same stop sign. I can't imagine there's more than one stop sign in Mayberry. So either A, it's the same one and he still hasn't fixed it. Or B, he fixed it way back in episode two and it broke again because he sucks at everything. But I just want to point out, he has been asked to fix that stop sign before. He sucks so much shit at his job. I like that you're, like, my reason was, how often do stop signs break? I imagine that Mayberry has more than one stop sign. I don't, it's not, it's not Disney's main street. Like, they do have pretty damn close. Yeah. (laughs) They do have multiple roads that I'm sure intersect at points. He's clearly just, like, not doing his job. Uh, And then he runs out to go fix the stop sign without shoes, and he hides his shoes. And then Barney comes back in to try to find his shoes while pretending that nothing is happening. And then, again, they just stretch it. They just show Don Knotts trying to nonchalantly look through cupboards and under beds and all that shit. Um, And then once, uh, once... Andy reveals that he has the shoes. Barney screams. He, there's a lot of joke, like things where Andy fucks with Barney, and then Barney goes like, "Oh, you're real funny. You should join the circus, huh? Huh? A clown? You should wear makeup because you're a clown. God damn it!" Like he's basically being like reverse Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's just like, "Oh, what are you? What are you? Some kind of comedian? You funny? You're a funny guy? Fuck off!" Which is actually a pretty good way of describing Barney Fife. He's like Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas, except minus any, like, actual threatening ability of, like, any actual malice or intimidation. And he looks like a failed clone of Joe Pesci. He, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looks like, like, your 
your second attempt at cloning Joe Pesci, you didn't quite get it, but you got the jowls right. On a separate note, if you had a failed clone of Ray Liotta, it would just be Rob Lowe. <laughs> I feel like Ray Liotta. Like, all right. So first attempt, you uh, you you crack open the tube. Outslides Don Knotts. Okay, that's the first fail. Second attempt at cloning Joe Pesci. Ray Liotta, you're getting closer. So Ray Liotta is himself a failed clone of Joe Pesci. Then you got Joe Pesci. So Joe Pe- it takes like three attempts. Then I'm I'm assuming like do you say Rob Lowe was the was <laughs> yeah, came through. Yeah. And then Rob Lowe is what you scrape off of tank number two. You came incredibly close to describing the plot of Kingdom Hearts 3, just saying. What? They're cloning Xanort now? <laughs> Oh, there's so many clones, my man. All right. Why are they doing the clone saga from Spider-Man in Kingdom Hearts? It's the clone saga, but it's also a little bit of Voldemort's uh, Horcruxes quite a bit. But the the Horcruxes are clones. Uh, You know, as you do. Look, it's very clear that we would rather talk about anything other than this Andy Griffith episode. I can't believe I'm too old for Kingdom Hearts now. I think I'm too old to, to... play or be into kingdom hearts <laughs> it was like All 23 right. when i played it anyway andy mentions that the two of them are going to go up to raleigh uh, for consideration of membership in an exclusive club and as soon as he says the name esquire club Barney jizzes all over yeah. his pants. <laughs> Just Esquire Club. Esquire Club. You're you're not exaggerating that much. He does writhe in ecstasy like it is unsettling the choices that don Knotts has made to do with his body yeah so he just starts like spasming uncontrollably while just screaming how important the esquire club is oh oh esquire club esquire club oh it's prestigious it's like the scene from when harry met sally but with just him screaming prestigious over and over again we should really contact the people who run that podcast that is just Don, a guy reading erotic fiction in a Don Knotts voice. Which, I swear to God, we had nothing to do with. They found us. I'm not gonna lie, I am a little afraid of that person. Uh, their, their power. Like, the, the ability to do that, it's, it's a weapon. Uh, you could, you could level armies with that. The, the next four fucking scenes are... Barney talking about how important it is that he become a member of the Esquire Club. And they go to Floyd's and they do a whole shtick around Barney trying to get people to, you know, ask what he's doing Thursday night. He comes in and he says, hey, we didn't move our club meeting to Thursday night, did we? Because that would interrupt my engagement with my other club. And Floyd just goes, nope, I don't care. Hey, did you get any fish? (laughs) And Floyd kills this. Just blast past it. Floyd might be my favorite character because he's such a good foil for Barney's bullshit. Because he doesn't care about anyone or anything. And Barney, like, needs him to care so much. Floyd is very clearly fucking with him. Like, Floyd is pretending to be dopey. And he is very clearly like, this little fuck is trying to humble brag at me. I'm gonna just blow right past him and talk about my aspirations to open up my own barbershop in Raleigh. Like, he's like, yeah, oh, hey, yeah. you're going to another club? No, it doesn't conflict. Hey, Andy, guess what I got going on? Here, who wants to hear about Floyd's deal? Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just being a huge prick. 
I think Floyd is a legitimate sociopath. Uh, I love Floyd. I love, I'm really surprised that there was never like a spinoff attempt at just like Floyd the barber, he cuts hair. Well, he's such a vague and confusing character because we're like interpreting him as like, okay, Floyd's an asshole. But, like, in the context of the show, who the fuck, what's his deal? What is the what joke is his deal? with this dude? What is this guy's, what is this guy's thing? What is, I have no idea. What is this actor even going for? He's the most vague, meandering character. Like, is he dumb? Is he a jerk? I, I don't know what they're going for. He's just always kind of it's, doing a bad job for unexplained reasons. It's so weird, and the show needs more of it, honestly. Anyway, so after he finally gets Floyd to ask, what club, Barney? And they talk about the Esquire Club, and then everyone goes, oh, the Esquire Club. Barney and Andy are going to join the Esquire Club. Barney and Andy are going to join the Esquire Club. And that's all anyone talks about for, again, another three scenes. They do uh, have, until, like, a, 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 a yelling thing where Barney's like, I want to brag about this. Why aren't you asking me about my life? And Floyd says that he's not he's not one to pry. And Barney says, you keep asking me about when I'm getting married and how much I donate to charity. And he says, like, I'm no longer nosy. Uh, so it is, like, a weird back and forth that like eventually ramps into them talking about how great it is that Barney is uh joining the Esquire club. The best part is at one point there's a dude who works at the gas station there and he's just like, "All right, I got to go." And he's like, "Why are you leaving?" Be like, "I have to go gossip about you. Is it cool if I gossip about you?" And Andy's like, "What?" And he's like, "I got to go. I have to just go tell people about what's going on in your life. Later. Peace. Peace." And just like <laughs> runs out. It's the weirdest. Like, imagine if someone was just like, like, oh, that thing you told me. I just got to go update the town. Like, it's such a weird thing to say to another human being. Uh, uh, I, I do, I do love the way they talk about Roger Courtney, and like, uh, they talk about Roger Courtney from out of town. Like, boy, he's a swell fella, and and uh, Floyd's like measure of how classy a gentleman is. Roger Courtney, he says, came in and asked him for a haircut that didn't look like a haircut. Which, if I did that at any barber ever, they'd be like, all right, the Sphinx, do you have any more fucking riddles for me? Do you want it three on the side or two? It, it really seems like he's like this Roger Sterling from Mad Men-ass character. Just like, like un, unpeccably smooth and just like winks at everything he says. Give me a haircut that doesn't look like a haircut, chief. <laughs> Like, and then, like, a wink and a finger gun. Confucius. Like, he's doling out <laughs> wisdom. The best haircut is not a haircut. Like, it's so fucking dumb. Like, any any barber <laughs> that you said that to would kick your fucking ass. <laughs> like, it would just, like, uh, okay. put down the scissors and be like, outside, we're fucking fighting. I'm going to go roll around with you on the sidewalk. So, as Andy departs to just, like, basically be get the fuck out of there. Barney says, like, you know, I think I'm going to have to polish Andy. Uh, and then it's a smash cut to the jail where Andy is like, what the fuck do you mean we're going to talk about stocks and bonds? We don't have stocks or bonds. And Barney's like, actually, actually, it's the one like joke that made me laugh uh, in this episode was that Barney says, we need to talk about our stocks and our bonds and stuff. 
And Andy says, we haven't got any stocks or bonds. And we don't have any stocks. <laughs> yeah. And then. it's a That made me laugh. It's a pretty good bit. It's like they're, they're learning wordplay. It's adorable. Uh, and then Barney says, like, well, what we're going to say is, like, uh, U.S. Steel went up three points. And that'll just imply that we have stock in U.S. Steel. That ain't lying. Uh, and then Andy says, like, well, that's about as close as you can get to lying is, like, intentionally misleading people through a mission of information. But whatever. I just want this to be over. Uh, and then... And he's like, well, how do you know that they're going to accept us? They might not accept us. And then Barney just, like, lights a cigar in the jail and just says, like, we're the Esquire types. So Barney is already being a fucking, like, lunatic. Like, he is he is actively trying to deceive these men so that they admit them into this club. Which is, like, just a real strong basis for social relationships. Now we're back at the house, uh... Andy's getting dressed. He's getting ready to go. Opie asks, "What what is going on at this club?" Opie asks, "Why is this such a big deal at this club?" He specifically uh, asks, "Are there are girls there? there? Yeah. Are there girls? Are you going to meet women? What what is like?" Opie's the only one who understands how weird this fucking is. So you're just guys, just just sitting around. What what why? So you're gonna go all the way to Raleigh, North Carolina sit in a room with a bunch of dudes and then just hang out with a bunch of dudes you don't know? Why? What do you get from this? It really sounds just like exactly what you do at the barbershop. The barbershop is right there, father. I don't, I don't see the rationale here. Which, okay, so Floyd mentioned earlier, like, oh yeah, we all have a club that we're in and why, though? Because there's seven dudes in the entire town. They already, already hang out. Like, what could they possibly do at a club that they're not doing all day, all the time? Like, Hey, Dan. Yeah? I want to take this moment. Uh, I think it's a good time to talk about it. I think you and I are about to join a club. Oh, Christ. You and I, I have, I have contacted them and what? I have gotten information. About, I have asked, I have said, hey, how do we become an official chapter of the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club? I did not consent to this. Pretty much all we have to do is just email our name to the official record keeper, and we're members. We've started a chapter of the Andy Griffith Rerun Watchers Club. Marty, so, Dan, this is going to turn into a fucking militia. <laughs> like... They're going to declare themselves like the Andy Griffith separatist movement and shoot up a shopping mall. And then our name is going to be on their list serve. Like, this is the worst idea you've ever had. So all we got to do is come up with a name for our chapter. The Philadelphia chapter of the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. My personal idea is that we should be the manhunt enthusiasts. You're gonna do this, and I'm—I don't—I don't think I'm ever gonna have sex again. Like, there's no way I'm not gonna tell anyone about it, but they'll know. Like, they'll find out. Oh God. Oh. If you have suggestions for Dan and I's chapter name as we join the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club, please get to us at Break Mayberry on Twitter. Oh, this Facebook. is the dark chapter in my Mayberry. life. Breaking Mayberry at gmail.com. Thank oh, you. Fuck. Back to the episode. Why, Rerun, 
the lang- the term rerun watchers makes it so much sadder. <laughs> Fuck. We're joining. Uh, I, back to the episode. Okay. Uh, back, back, to, back to that old episode. So Opie has pointed out this whole thing is weird and dumb. And he's like, yeah, kinda. And then Barney rolls in and everyone, he's just wearing like the most grandpa suit imaginable and a bow tie. And they take like five minutes to just gush about how fucking hot Barney Fife is. Like it's so annoying. Yeah, they're like, let's like, let's let's go ahead like, and skip. Oh my god! And then Opie's like, oh my god! And then Andy's like, you made me look like a real piece of shit with how hot you are. All right, let's get out of here. It's weird. It's a really so, weird line. So let's get to the club. Yeah. Uh, remember, Barney is gonna overact everything because he wants people to think that he's fancy. Uh, so there's a couple of gags where like. Uh, he's talking to some people about golf, but he doesn't really know what golf is. Okay, so uh, the so the the opening bit is that they're like, uh, I cannot remember his name because it's the most generic white guy name. Uh, Chad Pennington, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, introduced. Oh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I can get you all their names because the ultra reliable Mayberry Wiki has an entire page dedicated to just the club itself. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> their names are Roger Courtney, Jim Baker, John Danby, George Bronson, Wade Kegel, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chuck Pennington, uh, oh Property my. Brothers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, cr- Chip Epstein. I've started making these up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Property Brothers sounded like it might have been bullshit. <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, Jonathan Bravo channel. Uh, so, so there's a thing. Basically, two people are talking about golf. One of them says that uh, they shoot about, oh, they shoot about oh, one fifteen, and the other one says, oh, I shoot about ninety. Uh, and Barney says, "What? You're learning from him?" Indicating to the person who shoots ninety. Well, you can't even get above a hundred because Barney doesn't understand that golf. The numbers. It's not funny. Move on. It's the oldest golf joke ever. That what? All right. So the so the most benefit of the doubt I can give this is that this was the origin of that golf joke that I have seen in the in comic strips ten thousand times. Where like like Andy Griffith was the first to be like. It's kind of weird that golf, the lower number is better, huh? And then just um, North America just shit itself with this incredible realization. The next one after that is, uh, like, they enter a conversation, and as Barney was rehearsing, just walks up and goes like, So, uh, U.S. Steel went up three points. Uh, but uh, some other stocks are down. And they go like, yeah. What do you think about that? That's how stocks work. Yeah. And then there's just like a long, deeply uncomfortable, awkward pause. This was about uh, the time where I started wanting to like gnaw my arm off to escape from this show. Because it's just... We're only halfway through the episode. It's just a series of very uncomfortable social interactions. Not funny uncomfortable. It's not the fucking office. It's just a dude fucking up socially and long awkward pauses as everyone is uncomfortable and unhappy that this is happening. All right. Are you sure it's not the office? Cause you just described the office. 
right, on to the fucking dinner. So they're discussing the meal of baked Alaska, which I don't really understand what the joke is, because Andy's like, I don't recognize this dessert. And then Aunt Barney is like, it's baked Alaska. And then the, it's over. The scene is over. I don't even get the bit they're going it's, for there. I think the gag is that, like, Barney's upset that Andy doesn't know what baked Alaska is, because it makes him look like a hick. And so he makes up a lie. Of course you've had that that baked Alaska before, Andy. You just don't remember. It's a new dessert since Alaska became a state. Oh, right. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, God, it's such a shitty joke. I don't even remember it. Um, also, it's kind of ever since that YouTube shithead, just the term baked Alaska is ruined. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. No. I, so did I. Every time we say it, I'm like, all right. So we are we yelling about politics now? Like, are we mad about something? Like, every time I say Baked Alaska, I'm expecting to either be talking about something incredibly stupid or be furious. By the way, Baked Alaska is literally just ice cream with, like, a meringue cake on top of it. That's it. That that does sound delicious. Wait, so it's just meringue cake, like, the way that you often deliver most cakes. Yes. Complimented by ice cream. Yep. Does sound really good. Uh... There's some, there's some awkward, like, handshaking, there's an awkward silence, this, this dinner scene is just, it's painful. It's just so many sequences of nothing, nothing, nothing. Back to the house the next day. Oh, yeah, no, there's smoking, there's goodbye handshakes, Barney is like, hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna see you guys again real soon. Long awkward pause as no one wants to talk to him. Uh, and then they leave, and it's finally over, and I felt like I was dying. Uh, it's so fucking painful and miserable. Uh, so, uh, the next day at so, the house. Uh, Andy's just kind of, like, nonchalantly talking about it to Opie. He's like, eh, it was fine. Had a good time. The place was good. Had a good dinner. I don't really care. Opie, who is still struggling to understand the concept of this club, is just like, okay, so did you need, like, a password? Did you have to give a signal? I just, I don't understand how or why this is a club. I Please explain to me, Father. Please. I think I'm slowly turning Ron Howard into, I don't know, Matthew Perry here. <laughs> I like the idea of this just being, like, like a tiny, confused Chandler. Yeah, that his, it's kind his, of... Be- uh, Andy's son. That's kind of his role now, is just be like, What? I don't understand anything that's going on. And everyone just be like, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you, kid. Uh, everything's dumb. They just like usher Opie out and just be like, I'm so confused. Like they never, they never give little Opie any resolution on any of his many, many questions. Barney breaks in. He's like, Hey, did they call? Have they called? Have they called? He's just yelling about the, the he Kramer's in. Yeah. The phone rings. Uh, and Andy goes to answer it, and then Barney says, wait, wait, we don't want to seem too desperate. But then it yeah. doesn't ring. <laughs> uh, so then Barney calls the, uh, uh, the operator, has her reconnect the call. He he basically star 69s before that yeah, little thing. Yeah, just like by screaming at some lady. And then he was like, oh, hello, Mrs. Sims. It's for you, Aunt B. And he's like resentful about it and like, motherfucker, you're in their house. You just kicked your way into their kitchen and then hands it to Aunt B and then loudly calls Mrs. Sims a blabbermouth and says that she's going to keep Aunt B on the phone 
all fucking day. And then Ampy's like, okay, so I can only talk really quick because there's a tiny emaciated jackass screaming at me this entire time. And then just starts to have like a really quick conversation about cooking while Barney like yells at her. Like he's like hustling off her off the phone. It's like the most rude shit. I wanted to skip to the jail now because really none of this oh, matters. Oh, uh, one real quick uh, thing. Uh, as this is all happening, Andy just goes like, hey, weren't you supposed to be handling the school crossing this morning? And Barney's like, yeah, 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 I skipped it. Like, so there's a bunch of kids just like desperately trying to make their way across traffic because Barney wanted to. Do wanted, we, do we go? Do we leave? <laughs> like, there's one leader kid who's like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And then like starts to go in a car, just like blasts past him like, oh, God. Like, they're all, like, holding hands and kind of, like, slowly inching across the street. So back at the jail, the guys from the Esquire Club, Roger Courtney and company, they pull up, they roll in, they drove all the way to Raleigh for this. And they basically tell Andy, congratulations, you got in, not your weird friend. Fuck him. (laughs) They even say, like, hey, look, he tried. Look, we've got, I have a lot of people that work for me, but we don't go to the same club. As if they're kind of like pointing out, like, it's a little weird that the guy that works for you is also the only dude you hang out with. They make it an elitism thing. They're like, hey, uh, like, it's you don't have to invite your employee. And they can just be like, man, your friend was weird as shit. And he kept ruining various conversations. So we don't want him. But instead they were like, like, how you shouldn't bring a worker to our club. Like the weirdest, they kind of make it a thing of like Don Knotts was an was a jackass because he's working class, I guess. Yeah, they they, they make it like a proletariat versus like elitist kind of thing, which is you know I think what this show gets at a lot of times because this show has an inferiority complex, uh, and it just like it's just another example of how those highfalutin people up in the big city don't understand because they're elitist and don't aren't in touch with the working class. But that's not what showed us at all. In fact, these people were very gracious. They invited Barney sight unseen yeah. to come. Like, these people these people were not elitist at all. They said, hey, come on in. And then they were like, yeah, we don't want to hang out with this dude anymore. So Andy is just like, oh, yeah, well, uh, that doesn't work for me because uh, he's not my employee. Me and him are friends. We're really close. Uh, he was pressing really hard last night. He was trying so hard to put his best foot forward that he tripped over and fell down. Says, I'm also not going to join. And then they're like, all right, so no hard feelings. And Andy's like, no hard feelings. And they're like, are we still all best friends? We're still all best friends. Yeah. So like, there's not, there's like a quarter second of tension in this episode. And then everyone just like, high fives and has a great time and then like the two guys just go like like just skip out the door like we're still best friends everything's great there was not a moment of adversity in this fucking episode yeah and so uh enter barney and andy breaks the bad news that uh only one of them got in and barney automatically assumes that it's got to be andy so this is the end of the episode barney just says well I won't have be part of this club if they won't allow my best friend Andy to be part of it. And he writes down his resignation. He's like, I'm going to send in my resignation. And Andy just lets him do it. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. 
That's the it. stinger is uh so Barney is a Oh yeah. So uh the stinger is oh hey racism welcome to the party cuz Barney is down about not going getting to be in the Esquire club and Andy's like hey do you want to be in another super exclusive club? Barney's like yeah awesome. He goes like all right Opie come on in. Uh it's the Tomahawk club and uh Opie enters in a headdress holding a fucking tomahawk and says like do you swear to be honest engine with everybody there's like there's like drum beats in the background like it's straight up the native americans from peter pan like it is so fucking racist oh he he even does like a how voice little ronnie howard it's so bad it's the, I feel like we should hassle Ron Howard for this. Like, hey, remember that time you were racist as a little kid, you dick? Like, if he ever steps out of line, if he ever says some bad shit about, like, Ocasio-Cortez or something, we'd just be like, hey, you were a racist little shit. I just, just, just put that in our yeah, back yeah. pocket Yeah, if, if we ever need to crush Ron Howard. But yeah, so that's the fucking episode. There's no... The, the thing is, like, all right, so at the very end, they kind of hint that they're going to do some, like, some class warfare shit. Like, like anti-elitism, but there's no tension. At no point are the rich guys ever dicks, and no, like, slights happen beyond just, like, Barney is obnoxious, which, yeah, every fucking episode he's obnoxious. So there's no, like, there's no, not really, a, like, a bad guy. They tried to do, like, an anti-elitism episode, but without any of the elitism dudes being bad. It's so it completely just like falls flat. It's an episode without any tension or basically any meaning whatsoever. To contrast it against uh, the Frasier episode. Yeah. All right. So the Frasier episode, I'm going to go ahead and give a quick episode synopsis from the uber definitive Frasier Wikipedia. <laughs> it's a really long episode synopsis. So I'm going to give a, a synopsis of Fitting the Frasier. But essentially, so Niles arrives and tells Frasier that he has a chance to be accepted into the prestigious Empire Club, which is something that he and Maris have been working to get to their whole life. Frasier finds out that there's a second opening because another member was arrested and Roz knows the person that can get him in. So Frasier and Niles decide that they're going to team up and they're going to promote each other at the cocktail reception the club is holding. Like they research together, Niles has done re- has got cards, and the two brothers are ready to go. Frasier's date calls to cancel, so he takes Daphne instead, uh, who, of course, Niles is in love with. At the reception, the Crane brothers are doing pretty well promoting each other, but then they learn that only one place is available because the member who was arrested was acquitted, and so they let him back in. Therefore, Frazier and Niles compete with each other, and they start stabbing each other in the back with bad information and just shit-talking each other, essentially, to try to sabotage the other one's ability to get into the club. The next day, we find out that Niles did not get in, but Frazier did get in. Now, let's go ahead and point out that this is the halfway mark of the Frazier episode, and it's where the Andy Griffith show ended. So, Frazier feels guilty because Niles worked so much harder at this than he did. So, he goes down to the club to get them to take Niles instead of him. Over at Frazier's apartment, Niles walks in and he learns from their dad, Martin, what Frazier's going to do. And he gets really upset because he doesn't want a pity entry. So he's mad. So we get to the very end and Frazier is talking to the club president, working real hard to work up the courage because he's sitting in one of the luxurious chairs. uh, And he finally says, 
no, I'm sorry, you should take my position, you should take mine and give it to my brother Niles. And the club president says, well, we didn't want Niles because we didn't want anyone who is in the entertainment industry. And being a radio psychiatrist counts. Frazier, of course, is the radio psychiatrist, and he realizes, oh shit, they got our names mixed up. Niles got in, I didn't. Niles runs in and he says, you know what? Screw your snooty ass club. I don't want to hang out with you. You all suck. Later, and that's when Fraser says, hey, um, you're in, I'm not. And there's the joke of it. Niles comes back and says, no, please let me in. I, I should be here. And they have to like forcibly drag him so out. So this is also a backdoor pilot for our spinoff where we speed explain episodes of Fraser. Fraser <laughs> in brief. Speed Frasier. So it's more of like a ninja warrior type challenge where uh where you basically have to set the land speed record for running through an episode of Frasier. Uh we expected to have one person who's really into it uh and then no other listeners. Uh, yeah, look out for it. <laughs> that that's pretty much our show Co- now. Coming to so. a podcatcher near you. But yeah, no, so that's the entire episode of fucking Frasier. So basically, the contrast is that, so the big moment is, it, it's basically the same as the Andy Griffith show. Like, there's a, there's an exclusive club. Two dudes want to be in it. Uh, and then they, they establish tension by making the two people compete for one spot. There's literally any antagonism yeah. at all. And it's amazing how much mileage you can get when you insert literally any antagonism. Yeah, literally any adversity whatsoever. Because once that there's once there's stakes, like a a bunch of information starts coming up because they as they start sniping at each other, they start revealing details about each other. So all you just need S- some of which were really yeah. dark. Like they're making fun of Fraser's suicide attempt. Yeah. Niles went to jail for mooning Richard Nixon because uh, the anarchist he dated uh, was like was pressuring him. It's kind of it shows like the role that tension has in a good comedy and in a good piece of storytelling where you need to have stakes. You need to have like some form of adversity because otherwise it's just a series of debatably funny things happening and None of it really has any meaning. Yeah, it's a it's a good example of the pre seventies versus post seventies TV show thing we've been talking about. Uh, it's very just astounding to me how much more stuff happens in the Frasier episode versus the Andy Griffith show episode, and they both take up the same amount of time. In fact, I think the Frasier episode might be a minute or two shorter than the Andy Griffith Show episode because of uh, commercials. And I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to say that, like, the average Frasier viewer is more intelligent than the average Andy Griffith Show viewer. That would be, like, snobby and elitist for me to say. What I'm going to say is one of these shows trusts their audience so much more than the other. And maybe that, that might just be because, you know, one of those shows came out. 35 years after the other and had like 40 to 50 years of television history to like look back on be like yeah all right our audience basically knows how tv works but the andy griffith show up just wastes so much time making sure you get it hey do you get it the empire club is important to barney do you get it let's have this let's have this scene over in the barbershop to make sure you understand how important this is do you get it do you get it any like sitcom post 1975 would look at that script and scrap that 
barbershop scene altogether because it's superfluous. They'd scrap Andy pulling that prank because it takes up like three minutes and it's superfluous. It's like the writing crew of the Andy Griffith show didn't trust their audience and they didn't trust themselves to really sell this idea. It's kind. Of, I was initially going to be like, well, it was uh, it was it was old timey, so they couldn't really handle uh, complex narratives. But what the fuck am I talking about? Like, it was people have been writing complex narratives for fucking centuries. This was like the post war era. Writing was absolutely like like challenging all the time. So you can't just really be like, well, you know, they couldn't really handle narrative complexity back then. So is it just like maybe it was something along the lines of like either a TV was super condescending, and they were like these these uh, these dullards in the South can't handle uh, multiple plot lines, or maybe it was sort of like like TV is my leisure time, like it's sort of like uh, excuse me if I wanted to uh, if I wanted to have uh, stakes and tension in my entertainment, I'd read a book. I want I'm watching TV. I want just a vague meandering nonsense and a laugh track to make me feel like I'm around people. Like, I wonder if it has to do with how far we we get further and further away from the vaudeville era you know, as time goes by. The Andy Griffith period was way closer to vaudeville, which be like the kind of humor that these people were, that the audience was more familiar with uh, than you know anything that came after it. So I think as we get further and further away from that and vaudeville becomes you know, less and less of a thing of a cultural touchstone, then I maybe television gets a little bit more of an ability to exercise a little bit. They, they realize that they aren't just going to get by on doing shtick after shtick after shtick. I'm not uh, going to lie. Vaudeville seems like it sucked ass. Like, I mean, va- vaudeville was like the basis of comedy, right? It was just one straight character or reasonable character versus one, absurd character one of them's like acting irrational one of them's acting very rational and go that's it yeah you were you were right when you said it's always who's on first yeah it's just a little bit of wordplay and just those two character archetypes forever just just basic miscommunication issues i mean like people were funny before this like there's a lot of instances of being really fucking funny throughout the 19th and 18th centuries it feels like almost like the ending of the show is comedically recovering from a fucking cataclysm like they're re they're just like they're putting together basic wordplay like we i just got like excited because I was like andy griffith show did a pun fuck yeah it, it feels like a nuclear bomb went off in terms of writing complexity and we're watching like the apes relearn how to use sticks I, I kind of I'm at the point where I think like, I feel like vaudeville was that. Do we want to talk about this Frasier episode? It's a pretty solid Frasier episode. We can spend a couple minutes talking about it. What is there to say about a Frasier episode other than is good? Like Frasier is a good ass show. I mean, yeah, you can't really like we can talk about Frasier, but I don't think we can really say anything about it in other than like how much better it is and how much it shows like how far we've come because right. Frasier is consistently awesome. Except for some of the stuff where it's like regressive and 90s bad. Uh, but other than that, consistently awesome. But it is really a show that like blows through information so quickly. You have to, you have to really keep up on it. It moves at such a clip. Now, that's not to say, now there is some pretty funny wordplay in this episode of Frasier. By the way, there is a 
uh, B plot of this episode, barely, which is just about Martin trying to train the dog, Eddie, uh, which basically only exists in two scenes. Uh, and Fraser's upset that Ed, that Martin is using Ed, his like imported ham, his very expensive prosciutto ham, to train the dog. It is it is kind of incredible, like to to contrast it with uh with the Andy Griffith show. It's kind of incredible where you have two characters who I would in any other situation hate. Like I would fucking hate Frasier and Niles so much and make them enjoyable. Like the whole the joke on every episode is check out what a douche this guy is. Niles does get his comeuppance in this. Yeah. Like Niles there's there's a key scene that is missing from the Andy Griffith show episode where Frasier does say, "Hey, they got the wrong one." Like where Frasier does let him in on it and Niles is allowed to stew in his own impotence. You know, and he does receive his comeuppance. That never happens on the Andy Griffith they, show. I want to. I want to. I want to talk about this. Like the why I just talked about the ham though, and that's later on. Daphne is doing a very like cheesy, over the top thing about like, oh, I helped you get in, and now you're just going to throw me away. <laughs> like making it very cheesy. And Fraser gets a line like, ah, yes, I see. The prosciutto isn't the only important ham in this house. That joke rules. Yeah, that joke is funny as hell. Yeah, no fucking. <laughs> Ace that's it. Rules. That's that, that. That's great wordplay. Yeah, it's it. It's kind. It shows like one of the things that uh, that makes a show like this good is you have to have an airtight comeuppance logic. Like right, Niles and and Fraser always get their their due exactly the amount that they were dicks. Never more, never less. And it's something that sort of drives us insane. Is like. Uh, like we talked about in a previous episode where uh, Barney commits murder and Andy jaywalks and Andy gets struck with lightning. That's that's if Barney's made aware of the fact that he did something wrong at all. Yeah. Sometimes he's so spared his comeuppance that he doesn't even know by the end of the episode that what he did was wrong. Well, so, and I think it's constantly like drives us nuts to hear it because we're used to like that that satisfaction that the character is going to get some kind of resolution, be it good or bad. Basically, Frasier indicates that things mean things. Yeah. And the Andy Griffith show tells us that nothing means anything. What? The Andy Griffith show is so nihilist in its, in its cheerfulness. I can't handle it's it. It's not even nihilistic because like, it would be one thing if just like characters don't get punished for doing bad things. There's a lot of shows that do that. Where, uh, like, uh, a character will do something bad, and it's always kind of like a statement on, like, oh, yeah, life is hard. Always Sunny is a good example. Yeah, Always Sunny is a good example. Even Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a good example. Where there's a lot of cases where characters will do really bad shit, and nothing but good stuff happens for them, and good characters will do good stuff, and uh, and, and bad stuff happens to them. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a really nihilistic universe, but the the morality is always consistent. So it, it still feels it's not frustrating. The Andrew Griffith show. It's that the moral compass of the show is so inconsistent and there's so little enforcement of it that you're all that it's, it's maddening because you're, you'll see a character commit, do something fucking horrible, get unpunished. A character will be slightly a dick, get absolutely destroyed. 
And that I think that's the thing that's sort of maddening about it is when you don't have a consistent moral framework in your show, a character being a dick is the most frustrating thing ever. Well, Collar, it sounds like your frustration is stemming from a lack of verisimilitude inside of the media that you consume. You can combat this with a healthy amount of analysis and self-introspection. That's all the time we have on this call. I've been Fraser Crane. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Schneider. I'm a cameo. <laughs> you're uh, you're Gary Sinise yeah. in this episode. <laughs> By the way, Gary Sinise was the, was the guest caller on this episode. <laughs> okay, uh, I think that's about it for us uh, on the Fraser Hour. Yeah. With the Marty episode and Dan. where we use Fraser as like a soothing bomb to <laughs> just get through this extremely <laughs> shitty episode. Look forward to the next one, the pickle episode, where we're just going to talk about how fucking good King of the Hill is for like 45 minutes. <laughs> Uh, all right, you want to do some ratings for this episode? I I don't, actually. I don't want to do ratings no, for this episode. No, yeah, this episode does not deserve ratings. Uh... All right, let's just skip to the end. All right, so thank you for joining us uh, here on Breaking Mayberry. Don't forget to rate, review, like, subscribe, etc., etc., as I said at the top of the episode. If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to tell us what our uh, club name should be, our club chapter name, uh, we are at Break Mayberry on Twitter, BreakingMayberry at gmail.com. Oh, we have a new website, www.BreakingMayberry.com. Put that in your bookmarks. Look at it. <laughs> Look at it. I wrote it. It's mine. I did this. Look at it, please. Thank you. Uh, other than that, let's see. The music that you heard at the beginning was done by Max Ludwig. And our new artwork is made by... Me! I did it. This is also me. I've been doing a lot of stuff. We're very proud of you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. If you want to get in touch with me on the internet, I am Schneid Remarks at... at that's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. Uh, I'm at the Luds. You people have been using my Twitter to just really call me out a lot. So I guess that's cool. That's my life now. Yeah. <laughs> people have been using Twitter to just come at me about my, about my word mistakes. So if you, if you want to do that. Uh, and that's it for us. We'll be back with more Andy Griffith and maybe some more other television shows because it seems to be working for us. Uh, that's it for us. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face What is a boy to do? 